So we're going to spend some time in the Word today as well. Now, I don't have any slides. Sorry. I know. I know. I got the clicker, but I don't have any slides. Um, but we, I thought, you know, we could just forego the message and just have a Dennis Jones roast for the whole service. But, yeah, probably not a great idea. But one thing we do have is you can see all these boxes over here, Operation Christmas Child boxes. This is not all of them. I think we have 40 more than this. It's like 139 or 137, I think, Athlon, we were talking about earlier. Um, they're going to be shipped off to kids for Christmas. And so uh, before we ship them off, we're going to pray not only for the boxes to get there safely and to have an impact on the kids, but we're going to pray for the kids that receive them because um, you know, some kids don't have anything for Christmas. And if anything, they can at least hear the story about why Christmas is here, right? So we got some awesome boxes here. People have worked hard. Now, who's participated in putting these together? Raise your hands. I know a lot of the kids did this for Awana. So if we had all the Awana kids here, they'd all have their hands up and got our boxes ready. So before we get started this way, let's just pray for this whole Operation Christmas Child that it just goes off well and it has an impact. So let's pray. God, we just think of these children and in different places of the world, Lord, who are not as fortunate as we are in regards to the material things that we sometimes, Lord, just put so high. And we just think, Lord, that Although we need to change our hearts, we want to give them a blessing during the holiday season, during Christmas time, Lord, that they would just be able to have a bit of joy, excitement when they open these boxes. So Lord, we just pray that not only with your message of, their, uh, of salvation and your coming to earth as a baby that goes, we pray that you would just take these boxes to the far corners of the earth and that you would just have an impact on each one that receives one and those who are in the process and participating that you would just bless that whole endeavor, Lord, and it would just be successful, and that you would be glorified in the midst, and people would come to know you through these boxes. And so we put them into your hands, knowing, Lord, that you are good, and that you will see your purposes to completion, and that your will is complete, Lord. And so we just thank you that we have the opportunity to participate in this program. Bless it. Be with those receiving it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to get started this morning. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians. Um, this could be one of the hardest topics, as weird as it sounds. I know it doesn't sound like much up there, but if you can nail this one, you're ahead of the game. I tell our men's group when we talk about this, if you can get this one down, you've, you've gotten somewhere. Not that you've arrived, but you're getting there. Because this is probably one of the hardest things to do as a Christian today. And we're going to look at it together. But before we do, let's just pray again. God, we thank you for your word. We pray you would speak to, it, to us with it today, with power, that you would speak to us right where we are in our circumstances. And Lord, that you, we would just hear from you through your word today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we live in kind of the information age. Would you agree? There's information everywhere. Um, you can have a phone now that's got more power than most computers. It's just in the palm of your hand. Does anybody have one today? Right? Yeah, everybody? Okay. You have access to knowledge all the time. I mean, anything you want to know. Does anybody just Google like crazy if they need to know something like how long to cook a pie or... Okay, some, okay. But, you know, knowledge is a very simple term with a very simple definition. Can you guess what knowledge's definition is? It's just to know. Makes sense, right? It's having this, this database in your mind on a subject or something 
we know something about, right? So what is knowledge? I have to go do the definition search on this. So I go out and I look at Webster's Dictionary, but I have to look at his 1828 Dictionary because it's not scrubbed of all the political correctness, okay? So I'm getting to the raw one, and this is what it says in his 1828 Dictionary. A clear and certain perception of that which exists or of truth and fact. We can have no knowledge of that which does not exist. God has a perfect knowledge of all his works. Human knowledge is limited and is mostly gained by observation and experience. Probably wouldn't find that in the dictionaries today. Knowledge is a very powerful thing because of what it does to us and what effect it can have on others. So the question comes up, well, where does knowledge come from? You know, that's my next question. And just for fun, I thought, you know, I'm going to ask our worldly source of knowledge the question. So I got on Google, okay? And I Googled, if that's, I think that's an actual term now in the dictionary. I Googled, where does knowledge come from? And you know what I found? Everything. Everything. Knowledge comes from wherever and whatever you want it to come from. That's what I found. Basically, all knowledge comes from you and me. We have it. We're the source of it. We share it. You know, after several pages of Google searching, I finally found something I was looking for, and it was tucked in the 1 billion, 10 million responses that popped up. Now, I didn't go through them all. There was this verse, okay? It's Proverbs 1.7. Maybe, I don't have it on this one, but I'm going to just share it with you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, I'll be honest, I have to admit, I did know what I was looking for when I started Googling, okay? I knew what I was looking for. You know, years ago, when Melissa and I were expecting our first child, Judah, we had to take a birthing class, Anybody remember those? Anybody been through the birthing classes? You know, I had to go through them. Nobody's going to admit it. Okay. You know, I'm still taken back that we need to take a class on something that's considered natural. But I guess knowledge is power, right? Right? Okay. So our instructor is telling us about the wonders of childbirth. This is our first one, remember? All new information here. When she starts to point out something very interesting. She actually tells us that the, a woman's body has three different protective pieces in place to keep infection from getting to the baby. Pretty amazing stuff. And she showed us this amazing, these mechanisms that exist that make, and then she makes this startling statement, okay, that honestly got me a little worked up. You can ask my wife and verify. She said, quote, isn't it pretty neat that nature has made three protective pieces for this baby? End quote. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I believe my wife indicated that I fairly loudly said, nature? Like that, you know. Now, I have to remind you that before class began, we had an explanation from our instructor on how knowledgeable she was on this stuff. She had designations to prove it, certifications longer than I've ever seen next to names. You know, when I reflect on this moment in class, it made me realize something about knowledge. That true knowledge is lacking everywhere. 
And just because someone says they know doesn't mean they do. And to be honest, I became a much more detailed, analyzing student of our instructor after that point. You see, I had a different understanding of things than our instructor did. 1 Corinthians 8.6. I think I got this one maybe. Kyle, I'm going to turn the slides to you. Here it is. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And then this verse in Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now this is the important part. For in him all things were created, all things in heaven on earth. Think of my kids, this is what happens. You know, it's my dad's doing. I always blame it on him. We're created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, I have no idea why that chokes me up. I'll be honest. I have a lot of conversations with God about why he makes me cry during sermons. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I'll be like, okay, I don't cry. We made it. And I will go through and practice, and I will get through this verse just fine. And guess what? I get up here, and he goes, okay, this is the moment, Scott. <laughs> but what's interesting about this verse is that it all reveals something interesting about knowledge. It's actually tied directly to the truth. I can think I know all about something, but if it's false information, do I really know anything at all? Probably not. You know, knowing is actually tied directly to the truth. So what happens when knowledge is tied to something other than the truth? That's one of the problems we run into. It's false knowledge. It's actually not knowledge at all. For example, when we meet at the church, we know that the service starts at what time? 10.45, hopefully, right? Starts at 10.45. And then we do something with the knowledge. We arrive for the service on time, hopefully, right? If I told you today that the service next week was at noon, sorry, Ronnie, you're counting on me to know what I'm telling you is true so I don't mislead you or set you up with false information, false knowledge regarding our service. Do you realize that this is what happens every time Dennis or I gets up here to give a message to you? It's not just the time. You're relying on our knowledge, on the subject matter. You're trusting that our knowledge is backed up with the truth and tied directly to the truth. And it's our heart's desire to make sure it is. You know, it's nerve-wracking to take information and pass it on to others because you need to make sure it's right. The very first message I ever gave was in the Kersey Church, in the old building. You know, and when I was invited to speak, I was 18, and I literally sat in my desk chair in my room, and I shook. No joke. I was very respectful of the truth and the fact that I would be relaying information, relaying knowledge, and I couldn't even trust myself to tell you what it was. I didn't even trust myself. So the morning of my message, I sat in the nursery with Glenn Hansen. Where's Glenn at? Somewhere. 
There he is. I sat with Glenn in the nursery, and you know, he gave me the confidence to preach that day. So thanks, Glenn. Because <laughs> honestly, in that moment, he took a shaky 18-year-old. How shaky. It hasn't changed a lot. And he changed the entire future. Because what he knew could have destroyed me that day. But he built me up. Okay, I'm done crying. Okay, I got past the Glenn part. You know, the issue with knowledge is that none of us want to be without it. We want confidence in it. We don't want to know something that's not correct. Okay? We want the truth. We probably have heard the phrase over our lifetime, knowledge is power. Have you ever heard that? I think maybe it should be reworded to knowing the truth is power instead. Now I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 8 really quick. It's going to be on the slides. Verse 1, now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, or whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But God does not bring us. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who has this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. This is a, a powerful set of, of verses. You know, in the first three verses, Paul uses the word knowledge or to know seven times. The main Greek word is Gnosis, to know. You've probably heard of Gnostics. Have you ever heard of Gnostic? It's a group of people that were a religious group that Paul had to fight all the time because they're teaching, they're trying to teach people in the church that it was all about revelation, special knowledge that had to be given to you. It's just to these select few. Clearly, Paul wanted people to know something about knowledge here. Now, verse 1 again, let's look at it. It says, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, I want to focus on one specific thing Paul said here. We're going to come back to this food sacrificed to idols weird stuff here in just a second. But what does knowledge do? Knowledge puffs up. The Greek word for puffs up is physa. And it literally means air bellows, to inflate, or I like this one, to blow up. Right? What does knowledge do to us? It blows us up. Knowledge in itself is not bad. It's good to know things. But something happens within the human being when it comes to knowledge. 
Knowledge in the mind of a human can lead to pride if it's not kept in check. We've all heard of them. We all know probably some of them. You ever heard of a know-it-all? No one would ever call themselves that, right? There are certain people that I can honestly say I've never heard say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Do you realize that when you say I don't know, you're acknowledging that your knowledge is incomplete? You're saying, I know, I don't know it all. And that, folks, is humility. One of the most important, if not the most important thing that brings us to God. See, our pride doesn't bring us closer to God, it takes us further away. C.S. Lewis describes pride as being by its very nature competitive. He states, quote, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man, end quote. Can you see why our pride can have a direct connection with knowledge and can destroy relationships? When we think of those know-it-alls, I think we'd find the real issue with them is pride. You know, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained in the best schools. He was under the instruction of one of the most respected teachers of the time. He had knowledge. He knew the laws, and he thought he had it all figured out. But despite all his knowledge, the truth initially escaped him. Everything changed on the road to Damascus. And now, here he is, explaining the truth he missed initially, despite all that knowledge he had during his school days. Knowledge alone puffs us up. It makes us think we have something better than anyone else. That we're better than anyone else. Verse 2 in our verses this morning, let's look at it. It says, The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. I think Paul said this because he experienced it. He thought he knew the truth about the followers of Jesus, about Jesus himself. Yet his knowledge was incomplete. He put his faith and weight in his knowledge but he missed something. Now this is a clear reminder that we should never become overly confident when we think we've arrived. We could actually find ourselves embarrassed. We must be careful how much pride we take in what we think we know. Do you realize that if we put our full weight on what we think we know, we'll actually find no reason to go after God? If you think you've arrived and you've got it all figured out, then what's the point of going to God for something else? The person who has all knowledge of all things essentially becomes in, our, in their mind and to others, God themselves. And we know there is only one God. Verse 3 says, But the man who loves God is known by God. But do you remember what verse 1 said? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, when you build something, you're establishing a foundation, you're putting support under it, you're making it strong, you're making it solid so it'll stand. You know, God's the only security for us in that. He's the only builder whose structures never fail. Without the love of God, our knowledge is actually worthless. Much like a carpenter without a saw or a hammer, knowledge without love lacks the ability to build anything. Ben Franklin stood up during the Constitutional Convention and he made this statement. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writs that except the Lord build thy labor in vain that build it. Franklin quoted Psalm 127 during the establishing of America. 
You realize if love builds up and is the greatest of all things, shouldn't knowledge be coupled with it? Do you realize that knowledge is the thing, but love is the purpose? Paul states, I claim to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. Can we conclude that what we do with knowledge is more important than the knowledge itself? How we use what we know is more important than just knowing? James 4.17 says this, He who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Clearly what we do with what we know is more important than just knowing. And Paul gives us a great example in just these verses today. Verse 4 says, So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and through whom we live. Now do you see what Paul is saying here? First thing he's pointing out here is the truth and reality of a given situation. And he's talking about idols. An idol for the follower of Christ is simply the material it's made of. Wood, stone, whatever you want to build it out of, I guess. But he appeals to the believers to recognize that's what's been done with these stones or wood objects. That's the real problem. Not the item itself. It's just materials. You know, Isaiah actually speaks of this, and he appeals, I would say, to common sense, to just listen to him. And he says this in Isaiah 44. A man cuts down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or an oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine, and then the rain made it grow. It is a man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire, over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. Now listen to this. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? You see, this is pure knowledge. It's all common sense logic. And this man is described as having no knowledge. He's believing a lie. You see, there was a problem in the Corinthian church that dealt with this exact thing. Idol worship was common. Actually, in Corinth, they had two huge temples to pagan gods. And in those temples, archaeologists have found two huge banquet rooms for feasts. See, this was the culture they were in. You have to remember the message of the cross is new. It's just now growing, and it's conflicting with thousands of years of idol worship in various nations. And what was happening to the Christians in Corinth? 
Well, they were conflicted. You had idol worship associated with other gods just around the corner by the vast majority of people in the community. Then you had a group of believers who recognized Jesus as the only one worthy of worship. But you see, it was a little bit more complicated than that. You see, Paul tells us that there were people in the church in Corinth who had a weak conscience regarding a specific part of the idol worship ceremony. See, in Corinth, this issue of food came up. See, the people in the city would sacrifice an animal to this idol, to this foreign god, and then they would sell some of the meat in the marketplace. Many times that was what the people, even the Christians, took home to eat for dinner. And you can imagine the conversations, the divisions, the discussions that arose as these new believers were trying to process, how does all this work? So Paul addresses it, starting with this statement. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. It's a piece of stone. It's a piece of wood. There is no life in that thing. It's a matter of materials. It's nothing. But, this is what he says in verse 7, but not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. You know, Jesus actually spoke of this issue a bit. In Mark chapter 7, in verse 18, he says, Don't you see that nothing that enters a body from outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but his stomach, and then out of the body. Now, did you catch the whole issue here? It doesn't go into his heart. Where are we defiled? In our heart. If my heart is convicted over something, should I pay attention to that? You bet I should. The Holy Spirit is so good at telling us the truth in various circumstances. We just have to be humble enough to listen. Paul is trying to get people of all different levels of spiritual maturity to understand each other. Not everyone is at the same place on these things. Some are weaker in their faith in various areas than others. And it's okay. We have to just keep growing. But you see, these new believers, they were still working to let go of this worldly knowledge that they had. They'd embraced this before Christ ever came Paul goes on to say in verse 8, But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. And that's the reality. It's not the food we eat that defiles us. It's disobedience to the conviction God lays on our hearts that defiles us. It's putting our knowledge ahead of our brother or our sister in Christ that defiles us. So what does this mean? How do we take all of this we've read, And we marry this idea of knowledge and love together. Well, Paul does that in verse 9. He says this, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who has this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what is in sacrifice to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Now, it's it's an interesting thing because you can see here the prideful use of knowledge coupled with freedom can destroy others 
You realize that? Paul points that out. The worst part, this knowledge can destroy those for whom Christ gave his own life. Knowledge is a two-edged sword because if it's not properly handled, it'll cut everything up as you swing it around recklessly. Just because you know that food is in itself fine to eat and an idol is nothing doesn't mean you go get the fattest piece of beef and go into the idol's temple and sit down and enjoy it with the pagans. Part of being free in Christ is becoming subject to love. It's knowing how to use this freedom from Christ in the right way. Think about that. Our knowledge starts to prove itself out when we use it wrapped in love. And you know what that's called? Wisdom. When I was involved in the youth group here, this was many years back, a number of us guys were counting down to this particular movie. You know, it was one of these ancient epics, you know, like the gladiator type movies. You know, we were counting down. We'd seen the previews. Thing looked awesome. So the night comes and we're going to go to the theater and we're going to watch this. We all met here at the church and we're getting ready to head in. And just as we're getting ready to leave, one of the guys says something that honestly I will never forget in my entire life. He looked up at me and he said, you know, I've read a few reviews for this movie and there's some content in there that I've struggled with my whole life. After further conversation with him, it became clear that this guy had struggled with pornography. This movie had some scenes in it that although may not have been classified as that, they were going to stir him, which he thought would drive him to sin. And he'd been fighting this for years and years. Now, this is where Paul's writing becomes real world. I could have responded with, it's okay, man. We'll just go without you this round. I could have even tried to push him into going because I didn't want to miss out on this movie that I was free to see. You know, had I done that, I basically would have been saying, because you have a conscience that's weak, that's your own. We're pushing on with what we want, and you can do whatever you want on your own. Could have done that. You know what I realized while I was getting this ready this week? That I was also that guy at one time. I'd been there, I'd been told, I could sit it out. I was on my own because of my convictions. Have you ever been there? You know, looking back, I realized just how active God was in all that. When I was all alone, He showed up and saved me. And it was just me and Him. He wanted to make sure that I was prepared and ready to equip people with the truth and know that they're loved. You know, but some who are left alone don't stumble and fall into the arms of Jesus. Some fall into the arms of greater addiction and sin. You know, that night with my friend, when we, he shared his struggle about this movie, I looked around at the other guys and praised the Lord. They were all men who desired God more than freedom. Freedom to do what they wanted. And we determined if he couldn't go, we weren't going either. We opened up the gym here. We came in and we played basketball, I think, till the early morning hours at night. And you know what? We were closer because of that. We were built up because of that. And I truly hope that you have people around you here that are like those guys that would set aside their own freedoms in order to show you how valuable you are in the eyes of them and the eyes of Christ. You see why this is such a hard topic? Dealing with your freedom. Not getting what we want and have the freedom to take. I also hope that you just have people like these guys around you. 
You know, food is in itself just food. Meat in itself is just meat. But remember this, love does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. You know what else is amazing about that story? I never went to see that movie on my own. Neither did any of the other guys. It was like God said, the desire's gone. Never saw it. See, the lesson today for us is Paul's concluding remarks in this topic. He says, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. Paul's first words in this matter, my knowledge, my freedom, my abilities are to take a back seat to what's best for my brothers and sisters. Jesus had some pretty clear, strong words on this topic. Mark 9, he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those are the the young believers, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were to be thrown into the sea. God cares deeply about those who are just starting. The new, the humble, who are still growing, he wants them protected. Those who are mature in their faith need to recognize what they know is to be subject to God's will, prompting and leading first and foremost. I'm a firm believer this chapter of Scripture is probably one of the most powerful things Paul ever wrote. It's so applicable to so many situations today and one of the absolute hardest things to live out. It requires us to do something we hate, sacrifice ourselves on God's altar, kill our pride our selfish desires, all for someone else. So we have a powerful weapon we carry in what we know of the truth that we have and our God-given freedom. We must remember, though, our knowledge is only what God has given to us. We've not come up with this on our own. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We should use our knowledge of the truth in love to draw people to God today and to reach them with the good news of the gospel. Would you agree? Agree. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you challenge us with these things. As difficult as they are, Lord, we know that you will guide us in each individual situation, that you'll help us to know how to use our freedom in the appropriate way. We thank you for your love. We pray that you would continue to speak to us with your Holy Spirit every day as we walk and seek after you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.